Bible reading today is uh, from Luke 16, and it's uh, verses 1 through to uh, 15. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I I, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it, when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And so in the time we've got left this morning, I just want to share a few uh, thoughts from, from that passage in, in uh, Luke chapter 16 um, that Peter's read for us. And so I encourage you to keep it open um, there. We're not going to, as sometimes I, I confess that I do, jump around from uh, lots of Bible passages. You can keep your finger in Luke uh, chapter 16. And um, So this morning I'm going to talk about how should I use my money. Um, and if you could throw up the, the, the other image of the indescribable one, Um, In a few weeks' time, we're going to start a new series, um, which I'm going to call Indescribable, that's going to be exploring um, God's grace. So we're really just going to dig into what does it mean to live this side of the cross? Um, And it's called Indescribable, and I was trying to think of another word, and I was talking to some people this week about the irony of calling it Indescribable, and then I'm going to spend about five weeks describing it. Um, But that is the irony, that grace is impossible to fully describe. Um, and, and so I'm sure we've had series on grace in the church before and we've talked obviously from Bible books that focus on God's grace and, and so sometimes we can be um, complacent and think, oh yeah, I understand grace, let's move on. Um, but the thing is that grace is indescribable in its fullness um, but, so we need to keep coming back and reflecting on that. So we're going to start that on July the 23rd but this morning we're continuing a series that I haven't advertised as a series because it's essentially a series of messages um, around uh, Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem in Luke and and I've picked out some of the challenging words um, that Jesus has to say to his followers in that time. 
Um, and so I thought, well, if I, if I say we're doing a series on some of Jesus' most challenging words, then we might not have anyone come to church uh, for three or four weeks. And so I haven't kind of uh, labelled this as a series. Um, but so this morning I want to talk from this passage that, that Peter read for us about how should I use my money. Um, so we can flick that one back up on the screen so we can stop thinking about grace uh, for a moment and think about money. Um, so I'm going to pray um, once more and, and then we're going to dig into... Um, Just a few points from this passage this morning. So I encourage you to pray with me. Mm. So Father, I I do pray that you would stir in our hearts not to be complacent with your word. We are so grateful for those who have done the work of, of translating for us this morning so that we can hear your word to us in words that we understand. And so I pray that we don't just go through the motions now. I pray that we don't just... Um, hear and go away unchanged this morning, Lord. I pray that we would be transformed by your word and your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I want to begin by saying the first thing I want to say about this, this message this morning is it's not about your offering. This message this morning isn't about your, your tithe or your offering or, or whatever name you, we put to that. It's about the other 90%. This is not a message about, well, the way we should use our money is put it in the offering bag at church or in this modern age, transfer some money across to the church electronically. This is not about that. The scripture is clear about that we should, we should be giving and generous. Uh, and, and so, of course, I encourage that. But this isn't about that. This is about the other 90%. And so we're going to be talking about money because that's, the, that's what the scripture talks about. But, but really, this isn't just about money as well. This is about our resources, our wealth, our, our time, our possessions. Yes, our money. And, and in fact, actually, sometimes time is the most valuable resource we have in Western society. Sometimes it's easier to give money than to give time. And so I'm going to be talking about money this morning, but this this applies to everything that we have to offer, every resource that we have in life. And so the first thing to affirm is that God cares about it all. God cares not just about what we put in the offering bag, but about every cent that we have. And so this, this scripture reminds us that our approach to money isn't uh, just finished when God is concerned, when we put that in the bag. That we've done our duty, I've honoured God with my finances, and now I can go spend it on whatever I want. On lollipops or whatever excites you. This, this passage tells us that God cares about how we use every cent. God cares about how we use every minute. God cares about what we do with our possessions and what possessions we choose to have. Yes, we're called to give. We're called to give to God's work, to tithe, to to give an offering. But God cares about the other 90% as well. And so the first three verses of Luke chapter 16 remind us that all of these things, our time, our money, our possessions, are temporary. And so how should I use my money? Well, I should use it with the knowledge that it's temporary. 
Jesus tells a story of a, of a manager of someone who's very wealthy and the figures used here of the amount of oil and the amount of grain speak of what we would be talking about in our days of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And so he's managing a very significant amount of finances, but he faces a crisis. The, the rich man comes to him and says, what is this I hear about you? Give me account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And so the manager faces a crisis and he, he enters into this situation where his access to these hundreds of thousands, these perhaps millions of dollars, this vast resource becomes very temporary. And so the rest of Jesus' story is about how he responds to the knowledge that his access to wealth and resources is temporary. And so the thing for us to grasp is that we too face a crisis. Just as the manager in this story faces a crisis, we too face a crisis. Our wealth is temporary. Our money is temporary. We could could in fact face a financial crisis. We, we, We could lose our job. We could... Um, you know, face a global financial crisis again and, and, and we could go on living but our finances might become uh, very minimal. We might face a financial crisis but even if we don't face that, ultimately we face the crisis of death and we can't take a single cent with us. And so just as the manager in this story realized when his rich boss came to him and says, take an account of your finances because you can't be my manager any longer, we need to too realize that our finances are temporary. We, we like the manager, need to be called by this scripture to take account an account of our wealth, of our resources, of our time, because it's temporary. It doesn't matter how big the pile is that you may be able to create, you can't take any of it with you. And so the scriptures call us to take an account. How much do I have and how am I going to use it? We should use our money with the understanding that we only have it for a short period of time. We only have it as long as we live in this life. We can't take a single cent with us. And so Jesus' story goes on to tell of of how the manager responded. It says in verses 4 to 9 that um, he says, I know what I'll do. So that when... I lose my job here. People will welcome me into their homes. And so he called each of his master's debtors together and he asked the first, how much do, I owe, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. And so the manager responds by using his access to his master's wealth to win favor with people looking forward to the day when he wouldn't have access to the wealth so that he would be welcomed into their homes. As I said, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars worth here to say, you know, just scrub 400 uh, barrels of oil off your bill is essentially saying, here, take hundreds of thousands of dollars. The, the person who he is doing that for will not forget. 
And so we may read this as dishonest and he may be being dishonest. He may be cutting his master out of the uh, profit that he should be doing. Some suggest that he's just cutting out his own hefty commission uh, for doing the managing work and he's sacrificing um, short-term gain for for long-term profit. But whatever he's doing, whether it's honest or dishonest, he's realized the first thing we need to realize. Every resource we have is temporary in an eternal sense. And he's using the time he has to win favor so that he will be looked after for the future. And it goes on, to, Jesus goes on to say that he receives what we would see as an unexpected commendation from his master. It says in verse 8, the master commended him, sorry, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And so if he has behaved dishonestly, he's a dishonest man, the master says, but if this action of cutting down the bills has been a dishonest act, the master isn't necessarily saying, well done, you were dishonest. It's at at least a well played. (laughs) Kind of like, don't like what you did there? Cost me 400 barrels of oil and a whole bunch of wheat, but well played. You had the wisdom to use the time and the resources you had to look to the future and take care of yourself. And so Jesus isn't saying that when he says the people of this world are more shrewd than the people of the light, that is the followers of Jesus. He's not saying that, well, we too should be dishonest with our money to win favor with people. He's saying if the people of this world who are only focused on worldly things can have the wisdom to act wisely or shrewdly with their money, how much more so should the followers of Jesus use the limited time, the the lifespan that we have access to, to money, to possessions, to time, how much more so should we use that shrewdly? How much more so should we take account of what we have and how we use it? And so Jesus says in verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth, so use your worldly resources to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And so Jesus is saying, you know, use the wealth that you have to to win favor, to win friends for yourself, but he says so that you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And so Abraham, who regularly sits in the front row and gets to be the the point of lots of illustrations, I might might win Abraham's friendship with the use of my wealth, but as great as Abraham is, he doesn't have the capacity to welcome me into an eternal dwelling. And so what Jesus is getting at here is, is not just about winning human friends for yourself, but he's talking about using your money in a way that glorifies God. He's talking about using your money in a way that has an eternal consequence. And so yes, the the 10% that we might put in the offering bag has an eternal consequence. There is, I think, no greater investment 
that you can make in terms of kingdom impact than to invest into the local church that you're a part of. But also the other 90%. Every other cent, every other possession, every other minute that you have, Jesus is saying, use that to glorify God. Use that in a way that aligns yourself in friendship with God. Elsewhere, this is the one other scripture that I'm going to jump to in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And so Jesus is again saying, earthly treasure is temporary. Earthly possessions are temporary. Don't focus on storing up wealth, on pouring your energy into storing up that which is temporary. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus here in Luke 16 is is saying the same thing. Money is temporary. Take an account of it. And use what you have not to accumulate worldly wealth, but to store up for yourself treasure in heaven. To glorify God with every cent, with every minute, with everything that you have. And so Jesus goes on to say that faithfulness with the little leads to much. Faithfulness with the little leads to much. In verses 10 to 12, which I'll read again to remind us, Jesus goes on to say, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And and so what we need to realize, what Jesus is saying here, is that every cent, every minute, everything that you have isn't actually your own. It's something that you've been entrusted with, that God desires us to be faithful with. And Jesus is saying, if you want to have be trusted with much, then we need to show ourselves faithful with what we have. Those who are faithful with the little will be set over very much. Those who use the resources they have to glorify God, to store up treasure in heaven, it says will be set over very much. And so essentially Jesus is saying, don't wait until you've got millions of dollars to start glorifying God with it. And I'm sure we've had, all had those thoughts of, if I just had a little bit more, I could do so much for God. If I just had a little bit more, I'd set up that ministry or that mission or I'd give to this or to that. Jesus is saying, don't wait until you've got the much. Begin by faithfulness with the little. 
And so in my Facebook trawling this week, um, I fall into that sin from time to time, I came across a video um, which was a press conference uh, with a man named Derek Carr who's been playing in the NFL for about three or four years um, and uh, has um, just been signed onto a five-year deal and he's now the most wealthiest, uh, I guess, sorry, the highest paid NFL player in history. He's a quarterback quarterback. And and the press conference, they were saying to him, I've not heard of him before I saw this, and they were saying to him, you know, you've just been signed as the the highest paid player ever in NFL. This this man's in his early 20s. And um, he's he's first... And they said, so what are you going to do? Are you going to do something special with that money? And his response, his first response was Chick-fil-A, which is a... Um, American burger joint. He said, they kept me on a pretty tight diet here, but I think I'll go out and treat myself to some Chick-fil-A. But that was, a, that was his joke. Um, but then what he said, I'm going to do the same thing with it that I've always done with my money. First, I'm going to give my tithe. Um, he said, the same percentage I've been giving to the church since I was living off $700 a month um, scholarship check at college. The first thing I'm going to do is give my tithe. He said, I'm going to buy my wife something nice, which she hates, but I'm going to do that. But then he went on to say is what excites him the most about being paid, I think, like $150 million a year, is he says so many people in this nation, America, and others are going to benefit from this money. So many lives are going to be changed from this money. He says, I'm thankful to God that he's given it to us because that's what we're going to do with it. And so I thought, that's just a story of a man and his wife who were faithful when they had little. They didn't wait until, oh, if I, get, if I hit it big one day, I'm going to do lots. And now they've been set over much and their response is the same. I'm going to give my tithe. I wouldn't mind being the pastor in his church just quietly. <laughs> but he's going to give his tithe and then they're going to bless many people they're going to use the vast resources they've come into to store up treasure in heaven because they realize whether it was a 700 dollar check um, scholarship check at college or whether it's 150 million dollars a year that it's temporary that they can't take a single cent with them that they are called to take an account of their finances and how they use it so that they win friends, that they glorify God, that that there's treasure stored up for them in heaven. But beyond that, and I'm I'm about to finish, beyond that, I want to highlight something else Jesus says here. He says, So if you've not been trustworthy, this is verse 11. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? See here, Jesus is actually saying that no matter how much money you have, that's the little. That in in spiritual terms, in kingdom of God terms, no matter how much money you have, that's the little thing that we're called to be faithful with in the hope of being set over much. See, the much isn't money at all. The much is the things of the kingdom of God. 
I remember Trevor who, who sometimes joins us here. I remember him saying once that in heaven, one footstep, you know, because it talks about the streets been paved with gold, in one footstep, we'll walk on more riches than we've ever possessed in life. And so no matter how much money you have, whether it's zero or $150 million a year, that's the little thing that God calls us to be faithful with, to use for his glory, that we might be set over much. The things of the kingdom, the things of the spirit. Ephesians 1 says we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Peter it says that we persevere through trials to produce character and ultimately to produce a faith refined in the fire worth much more than what? Gold. So money is the training ground to learn faithfulness for things that are worth so much more than money. Money is the training ground to refine and prioritize your faith above all else. As Peter read in in verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so last week we, we said that Jesus could have said anything there or money instead of money, that he's to come first every time. And so money is such a training ground for us who follow Jesus. It's such a temptation for us who follow Jesus. Because what is the goal of, of the world? To build the biggest pile of money you can. See, everyone runs around trying to accumulate the biggest possible pile of money and possessions that they can without even thinking of the first basic point that Jesus makes here. It's all temporary. Somehow we've all deluded ourselves into the trap that that if we build a big enough pile, we win. We, We fall into the trap of money being our master. And if we boil it all down, what Jesus is saying here is be the master of your money, not the other way around. Your money is to serve you to glorify God who is your true master. Last week we focused on Jesus comes first every time. And in our world, the way we use our money, I think is the single most challenging litmus test of whether Jesus is truly Lord of our life or not. Yes, God cares about your offering, your tithe. He cares about that 10% or however, what percentage that is for you at your season in life. He cares about that. But he cares about every single cent, every single minute, every single possession you have and the way that you use it. And he calls for us to use that in a way that glorifies him, that looks not to the temporary, but to the eternal that we'd use the temporary to make an eternal impact. How should I use my money? I should use it in a way that states clearly that Jesus is Lord. And that's it. So we're going to invite our worship team to come. And they're going to lead us um, in a final song. And I'm going to pray. As I said, this is the single 
biggest test for us in the Western world, I think, about, about Jesus' lordship over our life is the way in which we use our money. We are unlikely in Australia at this stage at least to have someone point a gun at us and, and, and for us to be forced to choose Jesus at the end of a rifle. That's unlikely to happen for us. But every single day with every single cent we spend or have come into our account, we face that question. Will you glorify Jesus as Lord or not? So don't wait for the barrel of the gun. Don't wait for the millions. Because we're all called with whatever we have, whatever resources we have for however long we have it, to use that to proclaim that Jesus is Lord of our life. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom by your Spirit about how much you call us to give to the church. Give us faithfulness in um, giving what you call, even if that's a challenging amount. But, Father, more than that, I ask for guidance wisdom about how we use every single cent you've entrusted us with. I ask for guidance in how we would use every minute you've entrusted us with. Father, I ask for guidance in how we would use the possessions and other resources that we have in our life. I pray that we would use these things that are temporary to glorify you who is eternal, to lead others as well as ourselves into a place that will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And so may you be glorified with our singing, with our spending, with every minute we live, and with everything we have, may your name be glorified. And in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.